Good afternoon. Thank you so much for coming to our website, godsredeemed.org. The website of us here at the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ. We are concerned with doing things in Bible ways for Bible purposes because it is the Bible that provides us with the wherewithal in order to better please our God. In fact, there is no other place, no better place, no superior place to turn than in God's Word, which is where we're going to turn today. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you'd like to read along with us today, we're going to be in a number of different passages, and we are thankful for you and your interest in spiritual things. I want to use 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as our introduction here in just a moment or two, as today we talk about the will of God. It's a powerful phrase that has powerful meanings, that has so many different things as a part of it that we need to appreciate. When you think about it being a powerful phrase, might I suggest that it is a phrase that we use quite frequently in our spiritual talk. We come together on Sunday mornings and we talk about the will of God. We gather together maybe in a private Bible study and we talk about God's will in our lives. We read the Bible and we frequently talk about the will of God. In fact, you may find it interesting that the Bible uses the phrase, the will of God, some 23 times. And all 23 times where the phrase, the will of God is used, are in the New Testament. I thought that was kind of interesting. And it's not that the will of God is not playing a role in the Old Testament. It's just that the will of God is a New Testament phrase used almost two dozen times in the New King James Version. And we talk about the will of God a lot, but I want us to spend the next 20 or 30 minutes looking at the will of God as it is used in the New Testament to help us to better use it appropriately, effectively, and to use it in the way in which it has been conducted. Now, let me share with you how I chose to uh, write this particular sermon. I actually looked at the 23 instances where the phrase, the will of God, is used. And I said, is there some sort of a theme or series of themes or purposes to the will of God? And I came across three major ways that we can better understand God's will, or three lessons or three themes for us. The first of those is in the subject of submission to God. Submitting to God means that we submit to His will, or submit to His plans, or submit to His wishes. And a lot of people don't like the idea of submission. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5, wives are told to submit to their husbands. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we read that in Ephesians chapter 6, we are to submit to our bosses or to our masters. We are told by the apostle that we are to submit to one another. And we don't always like that because that means I have to put my wishes beneath those of someone else. But when it comes to submission to God, there is no if, and, or buts. We must submit to God. And Paul is, I believe, an important role model in what submission really means. 
In fact, the majority of the instances where we talk about the will of God are Pauline passages, and that is certainly the case here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I would, I would argue that Paul was one of the most key characters who understood that God's will was what orchestrated his life, and that it wasn't about what he wanted, but what the Lord wanted in his life. So look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where you find five instances, or one of five instances, where Paul uses in the introduction to his letters the phrase, the will of God. And sometimes this is what we might call flyover material. If we're not careful, we'll look at the introduction to letters and the final two sentences of letters, and we'll say, well, that's not really the important part of the letter. But everything is inspired by God. And so whereas as Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, who are called to be saints. Sometimes we skip that section because we're excited about getting to the meat of the letter. We're excited about chapter 1 and the first things that Paul is going to address in his letters to the church at Corinth or Galatia or Ephesus or Thessalonica. But just take a moment and appreciate what Paul is acknowledging here in chapter 1, verse 1, where he says, I, Paul, am called to be an apostle. That is, I didn't... Um, uh, say I'm going to be an apostle of my own accord, but rather it is through the will of God. Paul understood what Peter would write about in 1 Peter chapter 1, where he says that the gospel writers did not write their own opinions. They did not suggest things just off of a whim, but rather they wrote the things as they were moved by God, his will, and by the Holy Spirit. So I find it interesting that on five different occasions, Paul references the will of God in his introduction, whether it be to Corinth or the other churches to whom he wrote. There's another thing that I want us to appreciate, though, by looking at two passages in Paul's letter to the church at Rome in the introduction as well as in the closing pages of the letter. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 8, Go back where he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Incidentally, wouldn't it be great if Paul or an, another inspired writer were to write a letter about the church at Northfield Boulevard and say, your faith is spoken of throughout all the world? We can do that. Uh, it may not be said of us, but we can have faith that others benefit from, and that certainly God is glorified by. Then in verse 9, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. And then notice verse 10, making request if by some means now the last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. And I like this because Paul here is submitting to God. He says, I, Paul, and writing to you in Rome, knowing full well that I want to come and visit you in Rome. But he says, I may not have that opportunity. If I do come to visit you, it will be clearly because of God's will. 
and not simply because I want something. And then in his closing moments of the letter, in the last couple of verses of the second to last chapter, he says, I want it so that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And then he goes on to conclude in the 16th chapter by greeting a handful of brothers and sisters and commending them for the work that they're doing there in Rome as well as elsewhere in the world. But Paul here is clear in that he says, I want to come to Rome. I want to visit with you all. I want to see you all. I want to be able to shake your hands and I want to be able to help you in your work there personally. But it's only by God's will that that will be the case. Paul was also one that recognized that the care he and others received was a result of God's will. Paul realized how blessed he was. And even in spite of all of the challenges that he faced, all of the perils that he famously wrote about in one of his letters, he says, you know, God has blessed me immensely. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 5, not only as we had hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. This is, of course, talking about the Macedonian brethren, that need that had uh, arisen for financial assistance, for food because of famine and because of desperate times. But Paul here says it's a result of God's will that others are providing for the needs of those who are in need. We also need to acknowledge by looking at yet another passage where Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 verse 27 that the Holy Spirit works on our behalf but only in submission to God's plan. In chapter 8 and verse 26, it's my favorite verse of all of chapter 8, even more so than verse 31, the, the verse that we quote where it talks about if God is for us, who can be against us? But in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we all, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now watch verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit is not going to work without working in conjunction with the Father and with the Son, for they all work together. Which leads us to the way that we should pray, and that is our prayer life should be rooted in a recognition of the Lord's will. Let's look at this one final passage before we move on to our second major theme or observation. But very late in the New Testament, in the book of 1 John chapter 5, in verse 14, the apostle of love, the apostle John says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, he hears us. Is that what the Bible says? No, I left out something on purpose just to see if you're paying attention. Now, some things I, sometimes I leave things out because I forget, but I left that out on purpose. 
If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked him. See, I can ask God for a lot of things. But James talks about asking God for things amiss. And the reason that things that we would otherwise be wishing for. So when we pray to God, we say, God, please deliver me from this and help me with this and provide for the welfare of this person. But let it be according to your will, because I submit to you. That brings us then to a second major theme that I discovered in thinking about the will of God, and that is it requires dedication on our part. Might I suggest that living according to God's will isn't automatic. We cannot put it on automatic pilot by hitting the green button once we become Christians and then saying, I'm set for the remaining 50 years of my life. Let's say you became a Christian when you were 25. Chances are you're going to live for another 50 plus years. I can't just put it on autopilot and say, God's going to uh, just work magically in my life and his will is going to be fulfilled. But rather, I have to act accordingly. So this helps us to understand two major false doctrines that are not the scope of our study today. But this tells us that once saved, always saved isn't true. And this tells us that walking in the light, meaning I can't sin, is also of something we need to appreciate. When we are walking in the light, depending on what you mean by that, we are not going to sin. But you cannot, again, use this automatic pilot. I'm walking in the light. God is bathing me in his light. There's nothing I can do that is wrong. I have been saved by grace, and therefore there's nothing I can do to lose that grace or that salvation. Those major tenets of what we call Calvinism are false doctrine. And we need to appreciate that those things are not true. We are instead in a number of passages, but including here in Romans chapter 12, told that we have to prove the Lord's will, which requires conscientious decisions on a daily basis for our part. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, watch it, what is the good and acceptable and the perfect, the will of God. We are commanded to be in the, in the effort of proving the Lord's will, making those decisions to cause him to be glorified. And we must be dedicated to it for the right reason because we can be dedicated to it for the wrong reasons now lord willing sunday morning a week from today we will engage in a study of ephesians chapter 6 as one of our main texts in talking about our occupations our workplaces and how we can render to god the kind of service that he deserves but he says not with eye service as men pleasers but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You see, we are to do God's will, even when we are obeying our masters. Again, more on that, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. 
Doing the will of God, we should acknowledge, won't always be easy. We will need the prayers of our brothers and sisters who care about us. For example, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, I told you we were going to look at about a dozen or so passages, or at least I'm telling you now that we're getting a good workout of our Bibles. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers so that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So he's saying, here's a man who is praying for you so that you can remain in the will of God. So we need others' prayers. Secondly, we need to be willing to endure and to be patient. Sometimes being a Christian comes relatively easy, especially when you're surrounded by other brothers or sisters in Christ. But then on Monday afternoon, when you're surrounded by the world and you're dealing with all of the cares of the world, it can become a daunting task. And so in chapter 10, verse 36, you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And thirdly, we must recognize that there's the possibility that doing God's will could be costly. I want to look at those two passages here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 and 15. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13, read with me if you would, where it says, Therefore, submit, there's the submission again, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For, why is this so important, Peter? Is this, is this your opinion, Peter? Is this because you like the political party in power, Peter? No, he says, this is God's will. This is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Those are things that don't come natural, as we said just a few moments ago at the beginning of this second theme or second point, but instead require our dedication and require our diligence. Which brings us to a third and a final major theme that I discovered when thinking about uh, this idea of the will of God, and that is it comes with great blessings. Great blessings from doing God's will. When we do God's will, it could be costly, as we said just a moment or two ago. But it also is that which provides us with great benefits. Namely, that we get to spend eternity with Him in heaven. But in this life, that we have a better life. I think all of us who are Christians, especially if you've been a Christian for more than a few days, can say, you know what, it's hard sometimes being a Christian, but it is fully worth it because I benefit from it. I have friends that are closer than my brothers and sisters. I have people that care about me more sometimes than uh, my so-called best friend when I was growing up because we are a team. We are a family. Part of doing the will of God is saying to God, thank you, because we have reason to be thankful. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica when he said, pray without ceasing. And he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, 
he says, in everything, give thanks. Why is that important, Paul? Because it's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We also can appreciate from this same letter that doing God's will sets us apart, which is exactly where we want to be. We want to be sanctified, set apart, seen as peculiar or as special in God's sight. Verse 3 of chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And then he goes on and he lists other things that are involved in living in the world and being associated in the world. He says, don't be a part of those things, but instead be separate because of God's will. Another thing that we can acknowledge about great blessings that come as a result of God's will is that we are made relatives of Christ in doing God's will. I've always enjoyed Mark chapter 3 in the way that uh, Mark records this particular uh, series of events. Let's go back and read verses 31 through 35 rather quickly with a focus on verse 35. It says, His brothers and his mother came and they were standing outside and they sent to him and they called for him. So you can imagine Jesus being very busy, uh, being dedicated to the cause in which he has come to this earth. And his siblings and his mother, the people that he is conceivably the closest to, saying, hey, Jesus, can you make some time for us? And the multitude sitting around says, look, your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. But he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And now this is not an insulting thing. This is not where Jesus is trying to downplay his mother far from that or his own brothers. But he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and he says, here are my mother, here are my brothers. And then verse 35, whoever, that's you, that's me, whoever does what? The will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. And then a final passage all the way near the end of the New Testament in 1 John chapter two, tells us that unlike the world, those who do God's will look forward to eternal life. The Bible talks about people who are the most pitiable, those who are the most miserable, those who are without hope. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, he says, the world is passing away. We know that. This world will not be here forever, and we will certainly not be on this earth forever. But he who does the will of God, John says, abides forever. You see, we have hope in something that is better, in something that is superior. You know, one of the saddest things I think that I've ever witnessed or had the occasion to, to see is a funeral or a series of funerals for those who are not believers, for those who are not Christians, and consequently, they don't have that hope. Now, we know that in the world, in the world's perspective, everybody has hope because everybody's going to go to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches, is it? Instead, the Bible teaches that an adherence to doing God's will is necessary in order to be pleasing to him, in order to inherit those eternal blessings. I like the phrase, the will of God, and I'm... I'm glad that those 23 instances where the will of God is referenced is a powerful statement. 
I'm urging you, and we at Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ urge you to make it powerful, not just in principle, but in practice, by obeying God and by doing His will. That's what we are trying to do on a daily basis. Notice I said a daily basis, because even though we come together on Sundays and we come together on Wednesdays, all of us as saints at Northfield Boulevard understand that it's a daily process of living in subjection to God because that's his will in being dedicated to his cause and in receiving the great blessings that come from him. We want you to participate as well because we care about you and we care about your soul and we care about your soul's salvation. We would love for you to come and join us in person Sundays, currently we're meeting at 1030 here in our building or in our parking lot or as always live streaming here at godsredeemed.org. Wednesday evenings, we have Bible studies where we're currently studying some great Old Testament books. Currently looking at the subject, the person of Nehemiah. And we look forward to studying together and invite you for that purpose as well. If you're ready to become a Christian by being baptized because that's what the scriptures, the will of God commands, we stand ready to assist you. Or if you just want to study some and know more about the church, about the will of God, and about the Savior Jesus, we're ready to help. Thanks so much for watching. Bid you a very good day and a great week.